Hello, I'm Daniel Barnett, and welcome to today's episode of Employment Law Matters on Performance Management. In this episode, you'll learn why monitoring performance is important, how to cope with grievances submitted during a performance management process, and how to dismiss for poor performance. Before we kick off, a quick thank you to everyone. This is the 26th episode of this podcast and marks our six-month anniversary. I'm enjoying doing these tremendously and I'm hugely humbled that so many of you listen and send me feedback. We've hit the number one spot in the Apple UK Business Podcasts chart. We have 3,135 subscribers. They're the people who automatically download and listen to the episode each week. And in total, over the six months I've been doing these, we've had 80,000 downloads. And you continue leaving such nice reviews on the iTunes podcast store. So last week, Kev HR Guru said, Amazing podcasts, simple and effective communication. Highly recommend. Thanks, Daniel, for keeping us out the tribunals. Thank you, Kev HR Guru. And if you drop a email to podcast at danielbarnett.co.uk, we'll send you a copy of my book on GDPR for HR professionals as a thank you for that review. And every week we pick a review off the iTunes store and send the reviewer a copy of one of my books. Welcome to Employment Law Matters with Barrister Daniel Barnett. The first step with any performance management situation is to deal with issues early, ideally having an informal conversation. There are five things to note. Number one, if you can deal with any performance issues earlier, then not only can this stop them from escalating, but you can often avoid the bad feeling that comes from invoking a formal performance management process. Number two, If you have a chat with the employee, you might find out the reasons for the poor performance. This is particularly important where you've got a previously strong performing employee whose performance has dipped. Three, if training and support can solve the problem, as frustrating as it may be to pay for training and support, it's less time consuming and expensive than the time taken to go through a formal procedure dismissing and then recruiting a replacement. Four, if an informal chat does not bring about the improvement that's needed, it also helps establish a fair dismissal to show the employee was supported and aware of expectations. And five, discussions over performance should be held in private and be conducted sensitively. What's causing the performance issues? Well, reasons could be all sorts of things. It could be family problems. Family problems can really affect someone's work. It could be illness. Stress and depression can have a real impact on work performance. And sometimes it might amount to a disability. You might have to make reasonable adjustments. It could be alcoholism or addiction. It could be problems with colleagues or just lack of training. And the reason for the performance issue determines the procedure, although it's not always straightforward, because there's a big difference between can't do and won't do. Can't do is where someone's incapable of doing the job properly, however hard they try. Maybe they don't have the skills, maybe they don't have the knowledge, maybe they don't have the temperament. Won't do is where they can do it, but are just lazy, 
indifferent, distracted. Normally, that's going to be misconduct. And you should normally follow the disciplinary rather than the performance process if you think it's a case of won't do rather than can't do. But very often the lines are blurred. There might be a little bit of laziness or negligence as well as a lack of capability. And these things tend to spiral. One leads to the other and things descend in a a vicious circle. And in that case, it's usually less risky to go through performance management rather than going straight to disciplinary proceedings. What do you do if an employee puts in a grievance during a performance management process? There are several possibilities. Number one, if the grievance is about the fact of embarking on performance management, so in other words, I want to complain about the fact you've got a problem with me because you really, really shouldn't have a problem with me. I'm great, I am. The chances are it's not a proper grievance and you should just deal with it as part of the performance management you just say if you think your performance isn't substandard explain why not during the performance management process we're not going to put the performance management on hold and we're not going to have two separate processes covering the same ground if the grievance is about something unrelated to the performance management the best thing to do is run it entirely separately with a different person and the performance management process can carry on uninterrupted. These processes can generally be run concurrently. In other words, you don't need to wait for the outcome of the grievance to proceed with the performance management. You do them at the same time. Number three, if the grievance is about the motivation behind the performance management, for example, the employee says you're only doing performance management because you want to engineer the employee's dismissal, or maybe the line manager is motivated by racism or ageism or something improper, then the approach can vary. And that's where HR has to take a really firm view as to the best way forward and take a strong grasp of the process. If HR thinks the grievance is credible or if it involves allegations of discrimination, you should normally put the performance management on hold and start a separate grievance investigation managed by somebody different to the person who's running the performance process. If you think the grievance lacks credibility, do still set up a separate grievance investigation, but run them concurrently. In other words, don't allow the performance management process to be derailed for three months while the grievance is carried out. And if the grievance does ultimately succeed, then you can revoke or roll back the performance management stages as the grievance outcome. So you need to hold a meeting. What should you do? Seven things. Number one, make sure the meeting takes place privately. The right tone, the right emphasis is essential. It should be supportive rather than accusatory. Two, try and establish the reasons for the underperformance. Stating the obvious, but so many people miss this out. I see so many transcripts of performance management meetings where the line manager has gone through the underperformance and said, you're not doing this right. You're not doing that right. Here are the targets. Do you agree these targets are reasonable? But not actually ask the question, why? Why are you underperforming? Is there something going on? Is there something we should factor in? Is there something we should help you with? And if it comes out at a tribunal that there was something and the employer took no steps to inquire, that can be a pointer to an unfair dismissal. 
Number three, work out if there's anything that can be done to help the employee improve. Put in place the training, the coaching, any other support that's required. Four, set measurable targets and make sure they're reasonable. Ideally, try and get the employee's agreement to improve to the required standards. Most employees, unless they're playing the process a little bit, will generally agree that a performance management target that you suggest is reasonable, assuming it is. So get them to agree it at the meeting and confirm that they've agreed it in writing afterwards. Number five, set a reasonable time period during which the improvement must occur. This will depend on the role the extent and the nature of the underperformance, the quality and the length of the employee's past service, and the reason for the underperformance. If they've been poorly performing and asking for training, which hasn't been given, they need time to get the training and improve. The amount of time given is often one of the biggest bugbears for employers. Estate agents in particular are notoriously strict with this i'm using as neutral a word as i can because estate agents will tend to take the view well they've underperformed they've undersold houses in the last two months i'll give them one more month and that's it which is fine if the employee has worked for less than two years no unfair dismissal claim but if they've worked for more than two years and worked satisfactorily for one year and 11 months of it a tribunal is not going to think a one month improvement period is reasonable Number six, agree how progress will be monitored. And number seven, explain the potential consequences if the targets aren't met. So it could be a further meeting where a warning or final written warning might be issued. And if you've had a number of meetings already, then you need to warn of the possibility of dismissal for lack of capability. Dismissing for poor performance. To show a fair dismissal for performance, an employer has to show the employee has been told about the required standards, given warnings about their underperformance, given time to improve, and warned about the possibility of dismissal. ACAS recommends at least two warnings are given before an employee is dismissed for poor performance, unless there's gross negligence or dismissal arises during a probationary period. Remember, Employees only have a right not to be unfairly dismissed after two years service, although it is good practice to follow these steps if they have less than two years service. But if you don't, unless a tribunal finds there's discrimination or whistleblowing or something else as the root cause of the dismissal, there's not really very much the employee can do. If you get an employee who improves their performance during the review period and then lapses soon after... You can give a longer warning period than usual, a longer review period. It can also be appropriate to deal with this as a conduct issue, where there's evidence that it's laziness rather than lack of capability, for example, where a pattern emerges. It can be fair to dismiss an employee for capability who has a good track record, but who makes a serious mistake. For example, a case I've mentioned on a previous episode, Taylor and Allardare, a pilot was dismissed for an excessively hard landing of his plane, which led to structural damage of the aeroplane. It was gross incompetence, which had potentially catastrophic consequences, although luckily no one was hurt. Captain Taylor had the particularly bad luck that the managing director of the airline, along with his wife, happened to be passengers in the plane at the time, and the Employment Appeal Tribunal said, even though it was a first incident of poor performance, 
a dismissal was fair because an airline can't be expected to allow a pilot the chance, the opportunity to develop a track record for that sort of thing. Why bother with these processes? Well, four reasons. One, the performance might improve. It's cheaper to get someone to pull their socks up than to dismiss and rehire. Two, if you don't address poor performance, the business suffers. Three, ignoring poor performance is demotivating for other staff. And four, an employer can't dismiss fairly, assuming two years employment, unless these processes have been followed. It's important an employee knows from an early stage the standards they need to meet in their job. It starts with the contract and the job description, but it goes on to include regular performance targets, communicating policies and procedures and industry and local practices, reviewing performance regularly, not just once a year at the annual appraisal, have regular informal catch-ups. But for goodness sake, if you're only going to do a regular performance appraisal once a year, do it properly. Be blunt. Be honest. Be candid. Don't do everybody the disservice of being falsely nice and not identifying problems. And number four, for persistent or serious performance issues, use the improvement or performance policy as soon as the issues raise their heads. Don't sit on it for six months. Thank you so much for listening. And thinking about next week's topic, I'm thinking about doing constructive dismissal because I've just been involved in a particularly tricky constructive dismissal case in a tribunal. Let me know what you think at podcast at danielbarnett.co.uk and please do leave a review on iTunes. It's only through those reviews that I get feedback and we pick one person each week to get a copy of one of my books as a thank you for your time leaving that review. If you're a member of the HR Inner Circle www.hrinnercircle.co.uk you should have just received the December mailing with your audio seminar on changing terms and conditions with the magazine and this month's magazine has some great articles on breaking the taboo about menopause on making homeworking work for everyone uh, third-party harassment and who carries the can and pays the bill we have a Q&A on uh, transitioning employees an employee in the office who's transitioning from male to female how do we accommodate them there's a piece on bribery at work a piece on managers dislike of employees union activities making dismissal unfair and our hr professional of the month is annabelle carry from the hr services partnership you've also got in your magazine this month the copy of my latest book our book five in the employment law library on deconstructing tupi if you're not a member Join up. It's the new year. Woohoo! www.hrinnercircle.co.uk and we'll send them to you. It is, of course, New Year's Eve. I hope you have a fantastic time tonight if you go in for that sort of thing. Personally, I'm going to sit in front of the TV watching Outlander with Mrs. B and we'll probably be in bed by 10 o'clock. But hey, that's the exciting life I lead. I hope you have a wonderful new year and I will speak to you next week. Bye bye. Any information on this podcast is for general guidance only. Always seek legal advice. Please see full terms at www.danielbarnett.co.uk forward slash podcast terms.